you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. <clears throat> I have, last week I decided to change from our regular series in Isaiah to a look at a, a, selection, or a selection of scriptures that focus particularly upon a, a theme and, uh, of what God looks for in a pastor. I'd like to start us off by reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes here to young Timothy, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, Prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning and reflect upon the thought of what you look for in a pastor, Father, open your word to us, teach us. Equip your church, Lord, so that we may know how to evaluate and think about the pastors, the elders, the overseers, the shepherds that you place among us in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the shepherds. We thank you that they always point, they ultimately point to you, to Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. Be glorified now, Lord, in Jesus' name. This evening, in this building, there will be a retirement dinner. It's, uh, if you didn't know about it or you didn't RSVP, uh, that's too late, okay? But there'll be a retirement dinner for Pastor Charles Chan. Uh, if you don't know who he is, I'm saddened by that. Pastor Charles Chan is uh, and was, if you really the pastor of our Cantonese ministry for over 30 years. He retired officially in 2014. Uh, he's still with us. He preaches on occasions. Uh, but uh, due to health reasons and several other things, we, we couldn't have his retirement dinner in 2014, so we had it in 2016, two years later. Um, so better late than never, I suppose, for your retirement dinner. But I was asked this, uh, the, to, this evening to say a few words about what I thought about Pastor Chan. And thinking about it, uh, there's so much that could be said. Uh, I came into this church as a young pastor, and I got to serve alongside two spiritual giants, two pastors who had years of ministry wisdom, Pastor Sen, many of you, if you remember him, uh, and then Pastor Chan. I could speak of particularly of Pastor Chan, his accomplishments as a church planter for 15 years. I could speak of him as a seminary professor in Hong Kong. I could definitely speak of him as a Bible translator. In fact, he was the chief editor for the new Chinese translation of the Bible. By man's standards, these are great accomplishments. In fact, Pastor Chan accomplished these things even before he arrived here some 30 plus years ago. But it made me think about, as I was reflecting of him, what does God think of Pastor Chan? How does God evaluate him? Pastor Chan is retired. As if you know him, his health has not been the best uh, over the last several years. He is nearing the end of the fight. When he appears before the Lord, his Savior, 
what will God say to him? Certainly, of course, as I think about what, how God evaluates Pastor Chan, it makes me think about how does God evaluate me? And then I think naturally with our last week's candidate visit from Pastor Mike and our, many of our thoughts about him as we think about is he the pastor that God wants us? How does God want us to evaluate Pastor Mike? Now we can apply uh, many different methods, different standards by which we evaluate our pastors. Not necessarily that they, any of them are, they may not necessarily be wrong. But what we ought to avoid is that we would begin our evaluation with our own standards. And thus lifting our own standards above God's standards. There is definitely wisdom that God gives us through the experiences that we have in our world, through living life, through working in our world. But there is a danger to depending upon, leaning upon, using even our world's methods and standards to evaluate God's servant. Imagine if Jesus, our Lord and Savior, sought the world's, our current uh, world's methods or uh, standards by which to select the apostles for his work of starting the church. You may have heard this, uh, this illustration. But he uh, sought out the, the Jordan management consultants uh, for their survey uh, evaluation of the 12 that he had chosen. And they wrote back as they after evaluating uh, the apostles, Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, educational education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue search, your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter... He's emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Well, thankfully, Jesus did not seek the Jordan Management Consultants to start the Church of Jesus Christ. What we need to understand, even as we think about that, this, this of the thought of what God seeks for pastors, is that what God looks for in a pastor is what the people of God should look for in a pastor. And we want to use God's standards first and foremost, not man's standards. So whether we are evaluating retiring pastors, existing pastors, or potential pastors, God's word provides a guide for the people of God to evaluate them. So this morning is sort of a, if you will, a little topical sermon. I mean, I hope that uh, it will be expositional nevertheless, that it will reflect what is taught in the scriptures for you and that you would check it out for yourself as a Brian and confirm that these things are what God speaks in his word. Uh, we're going to go pretty fast today because there are seven points in this sermon. 
And that as we look in scriptures, there are many qualities, but I'm going to point out seven qualities because seven is just a great number. Seven qualities that God looks for in a pastor of his flock. Seven qualities that God looks for in a pastor of his flock. And I believe by application, these are seven qualities that we should look for in a pastor of his flock, in an elder of his flock, in an overseer of his flock. Let's go. Let's take a look then at the first quality that God looks for in a pastor of his flock. And that is he looks for character, character, character. Like the location of a property for sale. And what's the key for that? Location, location. What's the third point? Location, right? So is the character of a pastor for Christ church. The first, second, and third. If I could give you, this could be a nine-point message. It has to be first, second, and third points would be character. In our own workplaces, though, we are seldom evaluated by character. Unless your job is one that is a public personality. Oftentimes in our workplaces, we are evaluated by performance, what we do or don't do. And while a pastor certainly does things and should be in, some, in many ways also evaluated by what he does or doesn't do, the first thing that God looks at is not outwardly visible things like what you've done. But what does God look at? God looks at what? God looks at the heart of a man. Turn with me to first. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but if you want, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. There, God sent uh, Samuel to anoint a king for himself. God had rejected Saul the king, and God had wanted to have sent Samuel to anoint a new king, a new, uh, uh, the new king of Israel. He sent him to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And, he, and, he, and Jesse brought out his sons, and, and when he brought out the first son, Eliab, Samuel looked at him, and he was, Eliab was impressive in his appearance. He was tall in his stature, and he said, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. But what did God say? 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And throughout scriptures, we see that God chooses a man to, for, to be his instrument based upon his heart, his thoughts, his emotions, his motives, <clears throat> his desires, his will. In other words, his character. The words and deeds that man, a man will speak and a man will do come from, Jesus tells us, from the where? From the heart. Matthew 12, 34, 35. See, God looks at a man's character when he chooses a king. He chooses the king of Israel. How much more when he chooses a pastor of his church. And so it should speak loudly to us that when God lists the qualifications or the, and the, for the, a pastor or an elder of his church, God's word in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 7, as well as this parallel in Titus 1 to 5 and 5 through 9, emphasize what? Emphasize character. The heart, an overseer twice in, actually three times in these two passages, an overseer then must be above reproach is the emphasis. This word above reproach means he is blameless. He's irreproachable. Now, not in the sense of that he doesn't have sin because there's no one that doesn't have sin in this world. But rather, like the seven in Acts chapter 6, men of good reputation, men full of the spirit, men full of wisdom, men who who are Christ-like. If he is to lead others and teach others to follow Christ, then he himself must be an example of one who follows Christ. God looks for a shepherd who have a Christ-like character. God looks at the heart. And though we may not be able to see into everyone's heart, we must make that our aim to see the character of a man. First and foremost, before when we evaluate a man. It's easy to judge a man by what he does. Oh, he's an adulterer. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's the anointed king of Israel, David. A man after God's own heart. That's what the scriptures say. God looks for a character in our pastors. Let us look for a character. 
Secondly, we move on. It's fast. God looks, let's go back to the Old Testament. God looks for in a pastor a faithful shepherd of the flock. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 6. Ezekiel 34 is a prophecy against the, the leaders of Israel. And here, these leaders of Israel are called shepherds. They're called shepherds. He calls them the shepherds of Israel. They're the leaders of his nation, of his chosen nation. And in God's condemnation of these shepherds, we learn that what God expects of, the, of shepherds, whether they are leaders of Israel or they are leaders of his people, the church. So read in Ezekiel 34, verse 1 and 6. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. And it goes on there. But God, as we see in these six verses, condemned the shepherds of Israel because they failed to fulfill their duty as shepherds. They failed to care for the flock. They did not feed the flock, but they fed on the flock, verse 2 to 3. They did not care for the sick. And the broken, verse 4, they did not gather or look for or seek the lost, verse 4 through 6. They failed. They were unfaithful in their duty to shepherd and care for the flock. See, when God entrusts his flock, and you notice this is my flock twice there. When God entrusts his flock to the shepherds, he expects them to be faithful in caring for them. So a good shepherd, a good pastor must care for the flock. A good pastor will be concerned for the flock. He will fulfill his duty and will feed the flock. He will care for the flock when they are sick and he will gather the flock that are lost or wandering. He will also furthermore give his life to the task. It is not surprising that when we look into the New Testament we see Jesus uh, talking in John chapter 10 verse 11 through 13 that Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd. And he describes how he, the good shepherd, is one who lays down his life for the sheep. He gives his life to care and protect and guard the sheep. But the hireling, the hired hand, on the other hand, whenever they see the wolf coming, they, they leave the sheep and they, and they run, they flee. Because the hireling is not concerned about the sheep. Among many things, to me, this is, as I reflect upon Pastor Chan, this is what makes his ministry a success before God. His past 30 years, if I would think about it, was not known by any major accomplishment. He did not write any commentaries. He did not teach at a seminary. He did not translate the Bible. He did not, uh, he did not uh, plant any churches. But for 30 years, wow, some of us aren't even 30 years, right? That's a long time, a lifetime for some of us. He faithfully fulfilled his duty to care for the flock of God that was entrusted to him. And we have all received the fruit of that labor. We've all been blessed by the flock of God that he is particularly shepherded in Kenny's ministry. God looks for a faithful shepherd of the flock. Thirdly, and God looks for, in a, what God looks for in a pastor, he looks for a humble steward of the flock. A humble steward of the flock. We may see this in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, uh, as well as all the other passages in Scripture. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, these words, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, but pug not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. 
Now, this word says here that this overseer, an overseer, an elder is God's steward. A steward, if you uh, know, we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't have people that say, I'm a steward. Have you met a steward recently? I don't think we have. We kind of see it on television shows maybe. Uh, the steward was a, a member of the household that in, in those days that the master of the household would place in charge of the affairs of the whole household whether it's the different people, members, whether it's the, the properties, and whether it's the operations of the household. And he would be particularly in charge whenever the master was away. God says here that in Titus 1-7 that the overseer or pastor is God's steward. The pastor of a church or the elders of a church have been given charge of the local church for which he belongs, of which they belong. The pastor does not own the flock, does not own the church, but he oversees the church. As a steward, he is not the master. He is a servant. Scripture is clear throughout that the church, the flock, the body, the church of Jesus Christ does not belong to the pastor. It belongs to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Look at some of these other verses just see, you know, that we'll be looking at today. In each and every place, do you ever see it says, the pastor's church, the shepherd's church, his flock? No, it says the church of God. My flock, God says. The church of God. The body of Christ. The flock of God. It's my lambs, my sheep, says Jesus. It's his church. If it's God's church, then he is the one who has and ought to have the final say with regard to everything in his church. You know, traditionally, if you remember the old uh, role of the senior pastor, if you in a church where there was a senior pastor, the senior pastor was what? He was the one who was often the one who's described as the one who has the final say. No man has final say of Christ's church. Christ has final say in Christ's church. And that's why there are a plurality of shepherds in the church. And therefore, if God is in Christ is the one who has the final say, then it's, it should never be the, what is the pastor's will that is sought. It's not what I will, but it's what the master wills. We ought not to be self-willed, but Christ will. No pastor or elder or overseer should ever say, this is what I want. But instead... It should be coming out of our mouths as this is what Christ wants. Like Jesus, a pastor should be pursuing not my will be done, but thy will be done. This takes humility, doesn't it? It takes a humble recognition of who we are before the Lord, that this is not my church. I know we say, oh, that's Pastor Henry's church. This is our church, my church. It's not our church. We did not die for this church. I did not die for this church. Christ died for this church. A humble pastor who recognized that this flock, this church, is God's. And it belongs to Christ. And I am merely a steward of it. Look, we are, God looks for a man who will be a humble steward of his flock. And that we should too. Fourthly, God looks for an overseer that guards the flock. An overseer that guards the flock. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. It's fun kind of flipping through my Bibles. I can hear you guys out there uh, kind of like tapping your phones. Um, <clears throat> flipping your Bibles. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul was on the end of his third missionary journey. He was heading back to Jerusalem. He, was, he knew that there would be danger ahead. And so he calls in Miletus, the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he's to come to him, and he, in a sense, gives them a final charge. These are almost a, a second Timothy to the church, the elders in, church, in Ephesus. That's what it could be. Of course, he does, uh, we know that he's freed from imprisonment, that first Roman imprisonment. But these are sort of his words that he wants to leave with the elders of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31, we see these particular words that Jesus, that Paul leaves with the elders Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And goes on. Note here that in verse 28, the command that he gives these elders is to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. The Greek word for be on guard literally means to, to hold or to turn to or to, to attend to something. To have right before you. The idea is that when you turn your attention to something or when you... Uh, is that you, you're basically keeping your eye on it. You're going, and therefore, you're going to guard it, keep a, watchful, a watchfulness of it. An overseer, a pastor of Christ's church must therefore then be an attentive man. He must be an alert man. He is alert to the threats and dangers, first and foremost, to his own life. Because we are sinners. Two... But he is also to be attentive and alert to the dangers that threaten the flock. In the verses that follow, Paul warns the elders to guard against the dangers. First he says, guard against dangers that are without. He says, there will be wolves that come in. Wolves who will come in and, those, and they will try to devour the flock of Jesus Christ. They will seek to use the flock to serve their own purposes. They will be like those shepherds of Israel who, instead of feeding the flock, fed on the flock. But Paul also warns to guard from dangers within. Verse 30, he says, men will arise among yourselves. What is he saying? He says, men who will arise among you, elders, elders, overseers, you pastors, Men who will rise up in the church, who will use false teaching, will twist the scriptures to get the church to follow them, leading to a divided flock. Verse 30 is the reason that I often tell our elders and speak to our, our elders that division in the church now will not begin in the pews. It doesn't begin like that. Division in the church, and when the, if and ever there is division in the church, it will have begun among ourselves, our elders, our leaders. That could include our deacons and deaconesses as well. Therefore, God looks for overseers who will be always on the alert. God does not want shepherds who are lazy, who are not watchmen, who are not careful, observant. He wants them to be alert, discerning, and wise men who will recognize dangers in their own lives and, and then among the flock. And they will warn they will instruct, they will teach, they will admonish with the scriptures to do so. Fifthly, what does God look for in a pastor? He looks for a teacher that equips the flock, a teacher that equips the flock. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 13. Here the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and writes about the gifted men that God has, that Christ has given to his church. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and with the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God here, we learn, has given to the church four, particularly, four types of gifted leaders. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the last group is called pastors, pastor teachers. We know that these are two different names for the same office. They're speaking of the one, uh, the same person or same group because of the grammatical construction in the Greek. It's, uh, 
we don't want to get into technical, but you can ask Pastor Roger afterwards what that is, okay? And he will tell you everything that you need to know about Greek construction here. But we learn one of the primary functions then that of a pastor is that he is a teacher. As a shepherd, he is a teacher. Shepherd, shepherds are one of the primary tasks of a shepherd is to feed the flock. And so as a pastor, he is to teach the flock. What is he to teach then? Well, he is to teach the truth. He is to teach, feed the flock with the words of Christ. He is to teach the words of Christ to the body of Christ. Whether it is through preaching, teaching a Sunday school class, teaching in a fellowship group, or teaching someone one-on-one even. The pastor's responsibility is to feed the church with God's word. He may not be even gifted in all those tasks. He may just be gifted in one of those areas. But he's still a gifted and able teacher of the word. The teaching of God's people has three aims in this scripture, in this passage. The man, the man of God, the shepherd, the pastor must teach in the, God's word to God's people, to the church. Number one, for the equipping of the saints. He is to make them fit, prepared, ready. Ready for what? The answer is in the second point. He teaches the word of God for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. His aim is to see the people of God, the flock that's under his charge, be involved in all of the work of the ministry that this church is called to. The ministry of making disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. The elders of the church are, are not the ones who are to do all of the service in the church. They can't, in fact. The entire church is needed. But they must be taught. The church must be taught biblical theology, biblical principles. Yes, even practical applications of those principles. So that the flock, the body, can use their giftedness and serve within the body and fulfill the work of service. Just as this pastor looks to the scriptures for instructions, so should you if you are a worship leader, if you are a musician here, if you are an usher, a greeter, a teacher, nursery workers, counselors, and so on. Asking yourself, what does scripture say to what I am doing in this moment or this day for the Lord? Thirdly, he is to, the shepherd is, is to teach the word of God to the people, the flock of God, because so it is to the building up of the body of Christ. Our aim is to see the body of Christ built up like a house. As much as even this building has been built up and, and almost nearly completed. What is the church to be built up to be? What should it look like? Scriptures here say, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I love that. It just sounds it's like, well, what does that mean? Okay. It means the church should look like Christ. I just had a wonderful chat yesterday with one of our deacons. And it was, uh, we were talking about how, uh, how a church building will reflect the theology of the church. Okay. Oh, does that mean we should just write the, all our doctrines on the walls or something like that? Put doctrines on the walls? Or, or, I said, well, I thought, well, maybe, you know, that's why some churches have high, you know, vaulted ceilings, you know, so that it could picture basically they, their belief and view that God is great, God is big, and we are small. And that's truth. That reflects doctrine. And if your church looks like a coffee shop, then you think that, you know, your God is like a coffee-sipping dude. Maybe. But I thought about that. It made me think about this. You know what? In the same way that a church building reflects the doctrine, what the church believes so should the actual church of Jesus Christ. We should be a picture of what we believe, what we hold to. Wait a minute, how do, you, how do we picture the scriptures? Well, what do the scriptures teach us? Who do they point to? Jesus Christ. And so this church, the body of Christ, should look like Jesus. 
We should reflect Jesus' character. We should, when we do things, it should reflect the things that Jesus would want us to do. But the church will not do these things, or the church will not be these things without a teacher who teaches them the word of God. When pastors fail to teach the church, the church ends up doing ministry according to their own ways, what they think ministry ought to be. And we build ourselves into, we make a church that is built in the image, our own image, that looked like us. And we are not, and we will not be built up to the fullness of Christ. So we need to look for pastors who will teach us the truths of Christ. Sixthly, God looks for an elder that shepherds the flock. An elder that shepherds the flock. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. 1 Peter chapter 5. Actually, I heard that uh, the ETC had just studied this passage. So please, uh, as we're studying it, please tell me if I got it right. Okay? All right. 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn with me there. The apostle Peter writes, and Peter, Peter writes this, these words. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's more in that text. I, I almost feel like a sin to read that, <laughs> to read that text and not include verse 5. But uh, uh, you can ask me that later on afterwards why I think that. But. As a fellow elder, the apostle Peter here exhorts the elders of the churches, to what? To, to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. He tells them to, to care for, in every sense that a shepherd is, to care for the flock of God among you. Now look at even Peter says. He doesn't even call it, shepherd your flock. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What kind of, what's kind of neat even just as a, just additional aside, but kind of a theological point that I want to make is that you notice here in these two ver- first two verses of the text, we see the word for elder, the word for shepherd, and the word in verb form, overseer, used together here. And this is evidence, strong evidence, that these three groups, when we speak of elders, shepherds, overseers, or, or bishops, depending upon your tradition, how you, want it, how you use that term, these three groups are the same. They're the same function. They have the... The same, they're fulfilled by the same group of men. Elders are, were shepherds, and shepherds were overseers, and overseers were elders. But that, is, that point, theological point aside, the specific command for these elders here is, is to shepherd the flock of God by, by exercising oversight. Now, I think we generally understand shepherd the flock of God, but what does it mean to exercise oversight? An overseer, wow, it sounds like he's a manager, he's a boss. The word exercising oversight literally means to look upon, to look upon something. Figuratively, though, it means to care for, to care for. The elders of the church were commanded by Peter to be shepherds who looked over and cared for the flock. You know, sometimes people confuse overseeing with commanding the flock. Commanding the flock. But that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for men who are caring for the flock. You ever try to go out and just command some sheep? Just command them. I want you to go eat. Go into the pen. This is not babe, okay? Yeah, I guess. A shepherd must care for the flock, guide the flock, lead in front of them because they know the shepherd. They will follow their shepherd. They will know his voice, his call. God is looking for men who are caring for the flock. But there are many temptations for such for those who are called to shepherd and to be exercise oversight of the flock. And Peter then gives three sets of guidelines for the oversight of his church. Each set is composed of a negative statement and a positive statement. 
He tells the elders to shepherd the flock of God, first of all, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. We don't want a pastor or an overseer or an elder who serves because he feels like he has to. Well, nobody else is doing it, so I guess I'll do it. Well, if I really, 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 really have to, I'll, I'll do it. No, I don't really want to. Don't make me. Okay. You voted me in, so, well, okay. We want men. God is looking for men who desire the work, work of the overseer. Number two. Pastors are to shepherd the flock of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. With eagerness. Speaks really the motivation of the pastor. He is to oversee the flock with the right motive. Not for sordid gain. Not for greedy, dishonest gain for oneself. Pastors and elders are to serve with an eagerness that reflects their motivation. Love and gratitude for God. They would do it for free. Now, of course, I would want to add, if, if your pastor is willing to do it for free, that doesn't mean you are then to say, well, okay, let's not pay him anything. <laughs> you have an obligation to support him as well. But pastors are to serve God with an eagerness. Shepherd the flock God with eagerly. Thirdly, pastors are to shepherd the flock of God, not as lording it over, but proving to be examples. And one of the major temptations of pastors, and believe you me, I know this to be true because, well, I know a guy who's a pastor, so, is that we want to control everything. The older we get, the more I like, oh, man, I just wish I had absolute authority and control over this church. Yeah. <laughs> you realize... It's just easier being a dictator. It's expedient. It's easy. Way. But then I've come to realize, oh, that's, that's why God gives us a plurality of elders. Because sometimes we can get in that, that state where we say, oh, I just want, to, man, I just want, I just want my will. I want, to, I want this to happen so bad. The pastor not to be a dictator. He, along with the fellow elders, are to lead by their teaching, and to lead by their example. They lead together by the, by the common seeking of the will of God through the Holy Spirit. We are not called to command the flock. We are called to care for the flock. Look for a man who cares for the flock. The seventh and final quality, then, that God looks for in a shepherd can be found in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. A loving shepherd of the flock. John 21. Following Jesus' resurrection, Jesus has now appeared to his disciples on several occasions. And on this particular occasion, he speaks to Peter, who had, before Jesus' crucifixion, Peter had denied Christ three times. And that he denied Christ three times, even having after boasted that everybody else might fall away, but I won't. You remember that? So these verses are often taught as Jesus' restoration of Peter. Because he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times, Peter affirms, yes, I love you. But what we see here, especially in light of Jesus' response to Peter, is there is a correlation between loving Christ and shepherding and tending Christ's sheep, Christ's flock. Look at verse, John 21, verse 15 to 17. So when they had finished break, breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Using his own words, he says, I, I, these might fall away, but I'm not. You love me more than these, these other guys. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, you know, there's a, if we had time to expose it, there'd be a, you could point out the different choice, uh, different Greek words for love that are in this text. But Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. 
Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I'm using different words, for, again, for love there. And Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. In verse 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Jesus switches, and instead of using the agape love, he uses what Peter had been saying, the phileo love, do you love me? He brings it down, do you even love me? Brotherly love. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He had caught what Jesus was trying to say to him, that really, do you love me? Are you, will you love me? And he said, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. There's lessons there about the difference of word on the love. But what we cannot miss, the big picture of this, is that Jesus asked him if he loves me. And Peter three times responds, I love Christ. And so if you love Christ, Christ then tells him, if you love me, then tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. A pastor, what we learn here is that a pastor must love Christ. He must love the chief shepherd before he can shepherd Christ's sheep. Just as we learn from Jesus in the great commandment that love for our neighbor, nece neighbor necessitates and starts with what? With love for the Lord our God. So a shepherd's love for the flock necessitates and starts with what? A love for the Savior, the Lord of the flock. And we love Christ. Why? Because he died for us. Because I, too, the shepherd who leads the, his flock, it also, too, is a sheep. He's also a sheep. He, too, is one who has, been, who has experienced the... the the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, who has received the, the death of Christ on the cross for his sins. He, too, recognized that he is as wicked of a sinner as anyone else. In fact, he would say to himself that he is the chief of sinners because he knows his own sin. He does not know your sins. Christ died for him. So he loves Christ. He loves Christ because Christ loved him first. And when he loves Christ, and anyone who loves Christ is going to love the things of Christ. He's going to love the word of Christ. And he's going to love the flock and the body and the church of Christ. Because those, the body and the flock and the church belong to Christ. In fact, they are a part of Christ. So we look for then, in this, because of this last point, a shepherd who loves no, not, we don't first and foremost look there. oh, does he love us? Does he love me? Was he really loving towards me the other day? I mean, well, there's a point to that, okay? He was mean to you. Well, yeah, you can go reprove him, please. Gently, privately aside. But we ask ourselves, does this shepherd, does this pastor, does he love Christ? Does he love Christ? Because if he loves Christ... He will love the flock. He will tend his sheep, tend his lambs, shepherd his sheep. Well, as we conclude, and as I continue to reflect, I, I still haven't finished exactly what I want to say about Pastor Shan yet. As we reflect upon his life, as we reflect upon Pastor Mike, who were, he was a candidate, our associate pastor position, and as we, and you and I, reflect on me and your other elders of this church even, uh, you'll probably quickly realize that none of us meet these qualities perfectly. If you think about it for a short while, you say, wow, there was a time when uh, he was not very loving. Uh, there was a time when I you know, just caught him sleeping in his office. Oh, there was a time when, oh, man, he was, uh, was kind of controlling. In our flesh, there are moments when we are proud, when we are unloving, domineering, self-serving, careless, lazy. But hopefully, the pastors of Christ Church will be men 
of Christ-like character, faithful, humble, and loving, who guard, teach, and shepherd, that is, care for the flock of God. Pray for your pastors. Praise God for Pastor Chan. Pray for me. And pray for the future pastor of this church. For in the end, when we think about pastors, God uses them for a time. And then they're gone. But what we want for a pastor, ultimately, we want a pastor who will point us and teach us and show us how to love, how to live for Christ. Because shepherds will come and go and be forgotten. But the shepherds that God commends are going to be the shepherds that point Christ's flock and leave Christ's flock with the knowledge of Christ. And that's what I'm going to say about Pastor Chan this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this, the breadth of your scriptures that shows us how you are a shepherd first and foremost and how you look for men who will be shepherds who care for your people, your church, your body. Lord, I thank you for Christ. We thank you for Christ who is the ultimate chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the example that which every shepherd, every pastor, every elder, every overseer imitates. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to bring to this church, fill this church, raise up in this church shepherds, elders, overseers, pastors who will love Christ and shepherd his flock and point us to Christ. We thank you for Pastor Chan. We ask, Father, that you would guide us as we search for a pastor. And we thank you, Lord, for all the pastors and elders that you place in our lives that have made us the kind of people that we are today. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please exit out my left, your, uh, your left, my right, and head out down to Sunday School. Starts in about 10, 15 to 30 minutes or so. Uh, you're dismissed.